it is, it's always my, my pleasure to come share uh, anytime I get the chance. I love, I love this church. I just love what's going on over here. I love Genesis Church, and I love to teach. And um, Paul, Paul and I kind of have a running joke that uh, I get the, uh, th- the holiday weekends when uh, there aren't going to be a lot of people here. And, and it, just, it just occasionally happens that if Paul's going to be out of town, I might get the opportunity to speak. And, and uh, so when he asked me to speak on March 13th, I thought, well, that's great. That's not a holiday weekend. There's going to be a lot of people there. There's nothing going on that day. And so, yeah, as this week as I prepared, I realized it was daylight saving time. And so, uh, thanks, thanks again, Paul. I appreciate it. Good, good, good thinking. I know it had nothing to do with it. I'm sure. But, but the first day of daylight saving time is always a little tough, isn't it? You get here and and uh, you're always a little bit groggy, a little bit fuzzy. Um, but I love it. I, I'm I'm so appreciative of daylight saving time day because it means that spring is almost here, right? And, and I don't know about you guys, but I'll be so glad when spring's here. I'll be glad to be done with winter, and, and not because I hate the cold, because I don't. I don't mind the cold, don't mind the snow. I don't care for the ice, but I don't mind the cold and the snow. I actually prefer it to being hot. But I'll be glad to get rid of all the sickness we've had this winter. You guys have been hit with this? Our family has just been uh, devastated by sickness this winter. Uh, my wife, Benita, and I have two girls, seven and nine, and all four of us had the stomach flu this winter. Uh, both of the girls had it twice. Uh, both of our girls had serious colds that caused them to miss several days of school. Uh, my, my seven-year-old, Audrey, actually had an eardrum that ruptured, and she had, like, fluid oozing out of her ear, which was horrible. Uh, and, and my wife, Benita, got uh, an upper respiratory infection, which, which caused her to be uh, three days on the couch with a pile of blankets on top of her. And uh, dads, I don't know how you feel about that, but moms are not supposed to be sick, right? I mean, moms are not allowed to be sick. We, 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 we eat cereal for breakfast and lunch and have McDonald's for dinner, and we bathe about every three days when mom is sick. And so mom being sick is not a good thing. But the worst, in, in my house anyway, the worst is when my nine-year-old daughter Grace is sick. And that's because Grace is afraid of being sick. She is obsessed, maybe that's a better word, she's obsessed with not being sick. My daughter Grace is a first-class, unabashed germaphobe. She has uh, permanently attached to her lunchbox a little bottle of hand sanitizer that she carries with her everywhere she goes, and uh, she will not, under any circumstances, touch a piece of food unless she has first washed or sanitized her hands. Um, now, in fact, it's been so bad that I remember being at a McDonald's and we didn't have any hand sanitizer and the bathroom was too far away. And so she actually had a bag of French fries and she was eating them, picking them up one at a time with her teeth and kind of chewing them like that so she wouldn't have to touch them with her unsanitized hands. Now, she won't think twice about eating something out of my hand, but that's a different story. But the great thing for me about this fear, the thing that is really encouraging for me about her fear of sickness is this the one thing that she'll consistently pray about. It's the one thing that drives her to her knees to pray. And in fact, any time I ask Grace to pray, Audrey, my seven-year-old, has a heart like Jesus. She'll, she'll pray. She loves to pray. She'll pray for anything, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Grace and I have to work a little harder to be like Jesus. And, and Grace, uh, whenever I ask her to pray, she'll always pray for good health, for her for our family, for our friends. Um, and, and so I love that. I love the fact that what's important to her drives her to her knees to pray. So let me ask you this. What would happen today if Jesus were to come today 
and judge us on our prayer life, to judge you on your prayer life, to give you a score, say, a number from 1 to 10 on your prayer life. Not, not, not on how often you come to church, not on how well you serve, not on how much you read the Bible, not on how you treat other people or how you live your life, but just on how you pray. 1 to 10, where would Jesus rate you? What, who, who, how about a 9 or a 10? Any 9s or 10s in the rooms? Anybody that brave? <laughs> okay. How about a 7 or an 8? You guys feel like you're maybe a 7 or an 8 in prayer? Anyone? How about a 5 or a 6? 5 or a 6? Yeah, I think I'm probably there too. So you're probably wondering, why is he teaching this if he's a 5 or a 6? I won't ask you to go any further. <laughs> but if you haven't raised your hand yet, I think this message is for you today. You know, we've been looking, as Paul said, at the life of Elijah over the past couple of weeks, and we're going to continue that today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, what we've been talking about in the life of Elijah, I think the, the kind of the punchline, the tagline to this whole series is this. God cares about the details of your life. God cared about Elijah's life, yes, but he cares about your life too. And God is in the details of our lives. So often it's easy for us to think about God as being this huge uh, overarching being that kind of looks down on the earth as some kind of a ruler or master. And, and, and he does have you know, these qualities of uh, holiness, but, but God is in the details too, and God cares about the details of your life. And, and so the best way for us to communicate with God about the details of our life is through prayer, right? And, and so today what we're going to talk about is what we can learn about prayer from Elijah's story. Now when we talk about prayer, there's a lot of things we can talk about. We could talk about the importance of praying within God's will, and I think that's really important, and that could be a whole message in itself. We could talk about why when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus, and that would be another message. We could talk about how our personal sin can hinder our prayers, and that'd be another message. But what I want to focus on today is, is I think there are four truths that we can find in this prayer from Elijah. Um, but, but before I do any of that, I want you to know this one thing, um, and I think this is the most important if you, if you have to leave early or if you don't get anything else out of this message, you need to know this. You can boldly go before the throne of grace. There's no need to be afraid. Be bold in your prayer. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, <clears throat> you heard Josh Tandy talk about the drought that God sent on the land. And he said that your pain is not pointless. That the pain that you've experienced in your life, that you may even be experiencing right now, that that pain has a point to it. That God wants to use that in your life. And then last week, you heard Paul Mumal talk about false gods and how after three years of drought and famine, people began to turn away from God and worship idols, and, but that those false gods promised what only the one true God could deliver. And if you missed either one of those weeks, I do uh, uh, really encourage you to check it out. Either go to our website or go to iTunes and, and download those podcasts and listen to them throughout the week because they're both great, encouraging messages. And so we're going to begin today in that same place in the third year of drought and famine in Samaria. And we're going to start in 1 Kings 18, and we'll start in verse 1. It says, After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now remember, Ahab was a king. Uh, the Bible tells us he was an evil king, and he knew that Elijah had a special relationship with God, and that he knew that, in a way, Elijah was the cause of this drought. So the first thing we need to understand in this story is the importance of rain in this culture, in Samaria. You know, many of the towns and villages wouldn't have had a deep water well, uh, so people would have uh, had to drink out of the streams, out of the rivers. And by the third year of the drought, it's almost a certainty that uh, a lot of these streams would have been drying up. Uh, 
water was also needed in the agrarian society for, to water the crops, uh, for food, and to give water to the animals for food. And so without ready access to water, the crops would die, the animals would die, and the people would die. And as Paul said last week, it's a certainty that by the third year of this drought, that people were dying everywhere. Rain, in this case, is good. I mean, uh, you know, if I can quote one of my favorite country songs, it clouds up in the city, the weatherman complains, but where Elijah comes from, rain is a good thing, right? Rain is life. Rain is important. Okay, so let's skip down to verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is a sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported, A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, and a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Let's just pray before we go any further. Father God, I'm so thankful for your word this morning and thankful for uh, the lessons that you, want to, you have for us in this. And we, I just pray over the next few minutes as we look at uh, this story of Elijah and his faithful prayer uh, that you would remind us how desperately you want to hear from us, that you would remind us how you're faithful in prayer and uh, that you would uh, just be an encouragement to us this morning. Thanks for this story and thanks for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. What an awesome testimony to the power of prayer in Elijah's life. In, in fact, the totality of the story today is summed up in just two verses in the, in the New Testament, in the book of James. It says this, James 5, 17, 18 says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop, crops. And that's the kind of prayer life I want, don't you? I mean, you pray for no rain, and bam, no rain. And then you pray for rain, bam, here comes the rain. How cool is that? I mean, how great would that be just to have that kind of like uh, magic wand prayer life, right? That's, that's kind of what we want, I think. So the Bible tells us that Elijah prayed earnestly for rain and God sent rain. It also tells us, though, that Elijah was a human being just like us. And just as Elijah prayed boldly, you need to know that today you can boldly go before the throne of grace. Just like Elijah heard God, or God heard Elijah's prayers, he hears your prayers as well. And if that's the case, what can we learn from this story to help our prayers be more effective? Well, I'd like to spend a few minutes today just to talk about four things that I see as I read this story. I'm sure there are more, but there are four things I'd like to focus on this morning. And, and truth number one is this, and it's in your notes if you, have your, uh, if you have your worship program. Truth number one, effective prayers are humble prayers. Elijah knew who he was addressing. He understood that he himself couldn't make rain on his own but he sure knew who could. As scripture tells us that Elijah, when he went up to the top of Carmel, he bent down on his knees and put his face between his knees. How often are you able and willing to do that? You know, some of my prayers are almost always on the run, uh, and they often come in the form of, uh, you know, asking for something, right? I mean, God, please do this for me, or God, please help me with this, or God, please give me wisdom, or, or God, uh, make this person do this, or uh, they're almost always... Pretty immediate, pretty sudden, and, and not really uh, well thought through, i got to admit. Uh, 
I rarely take time to humbly think about whom I'm addressing. Think about it this way. If you have kids, parents, how do you feel when your kids run in the room and scream, Mommy, make me a sandwich! Or, Daddy, give me some money! Or even, Dear Daddy, please give me some money. You know, uh, Maybe that just sounds like every day in your house. But, but how inclined are you to answer? I mean, do you give, it, give them what they want? You know, in my house, we have so many fights about toys. I, I, I can't count the number of times that I'll be sitting uh, you know, comfortably on the couch or, or doing something, and I hear, give me it, it's mine, or hey, you gave that to me already, or hey, I want that back, and I just want to say, no, stop it. It's mine. I worked for it. I paid for it. The house is mine and everything in it, and you have no ownership claim to it, young lady. Now imagine that your kids, when they want something, come humbly before you. What if they came in the room and snuggled up with you on the couch for a little while and, and told you how much they loved you and how much you've impacted their life? And, and, and I know people are laughing, right? Because you're like, that would never happen. But, but you know when they're trying to butter you up, right? So not like that at all, but in a sincere way that says that they understand who you are and that you have the power to give them what, you, what they want and you have the power not to. A way that says that they understand that you are in charge and they can't get what they want without you. I think you'd be much more likely to listen to their requests. I know I would. You know, when we come before God and put our requests ahead of his will, it's about the most extreme form of pride and arrogance I can imagine. We're essentially saying, God, I know you have a plan, but mine's better. I know you have wants and needs, but mine are more important. What I want, what I want trumps what you want to give me. Proverbs 16.5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. But if we humbly go before God with our requests, Scripture promises another outcome. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will... What's that word? What's that word? Humble themselves, humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Humbling yourself means you know and acknowledge who you're talking to. It means you realize, and it means you maybe even verbalize, that you can't do what you need God to do for you. He is our provider. He is our sustainer. He is our Savior who can do more than we can imagine. And we need to acknowledge that first and foremost when we pray. So first, effective prayers are humble prayers. Next, and if you're following in your notes, it's there. Effective prayers are specific prayers. I love uh, the prayer that Paul prayed a few minutes ago up here, praying for the rescue workers and praying for the nuclear scientists and praying for uh, a lot of different people in Japan, so specific, just asking God to bless those people and give them wisdom. When Elijah asked for rain, it rained. Now, there are a lot of ways Elijah could have prayed. He could have prayed for his own comfort. God had already provided earlier in the story, God had provided food for him and water for him, uh, for someone to provide him water. He could have prayed for God to send food on the land, like Moses did when Moses was wandering in the desert with the Israelites and God sent manna from heaven. Elijah could have prayed like that. He could have prayed in a lot of ways, but he prayed specifically for rain. Remember, rain is life in this culture. Rain is important. So often my prayers can become very generic especially when I don't know what I'm supposed to pray for. So frequently I end up praying, Lord, be with him, or Lord, would you help me through this, or Lord, would you give me direction? 
without really stating what I think I need help with or what I want. But the Lord, your Father in heaven, loves you, and he wants to hear specifically what you want. Psalm 37.5 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, in order to give you the desires of your heart, I think it would be helpful for God to hear the desires of your heart. Not because he doesn't know what you want already, but because he's your father. He's crazy about you. And I think God wants to hear specifically what we want. I told you earlier about my daughter, Grace, and how she prays about what's important to her. Well, next weekend is the the big uh, fundraiser for the PTO at our girls' school, the Husky Festival at Hamilton Heights Primary School. And uh, we're excited about that. We always get excited about the Husky Festival. And, and they have, you know, games and food and face painting and, and all the things that are designed specifically to extract money from the pockets of the parents, you know. And um, one of the things they do that's really neat and that the kids really get into is each classroom every year designs a basket. And, and, and the baskets are raffled off, and all of them have a theme. So maybe there's a, there's a stuffed animal basket in one classroom, or there's a car wash basket in one classroom, or, or a chocolate basket in one class, or uh, my wife's personal favorite, or there's, a, there's a, uh, an outdoor games basket. And, and so every class has a basket, and they all get raffled off, and, and there's a theme. Okay, you got that? So my daughter's class last year was either incredibly bright or totally uncreative, and decided to collect everybody's spare change and put it in a bucket and raffle off the bucket of spare change. And they called it the chunk change, and they ended up with the chunk change. They took a five-gallon water jug that you use for water coolers and filled it about two-thirds of the way full with spare change, okay? And so Grace was obsessed with the chunk change. She was confident. In fact, I remember driving to the Husky Festival, and Grace in the back seat was almost like antsy. She was almost, you know, shaking in the car, and she was saying, I'm so excited, I can't wait till we win the chunk change. And so I, I said, honey, we're probably not going to win the chunk change. There, there are a lot of people there, and there are people that buy hundreds of tickets, you know, and, and put, you know, 20 tickets in this one, and we go and we buy five tickets, you know, and we each put a ticket in, in the bin. And, and so I said, it's, it's great, it's for a great cause, but don't get your hopes up about winning the chunk change. <clears throat> and then she hit me. She said, but dad, I've been praying all week that we'd win the chunk change. Well, being the spiritual leader of my house, I couldn't let this go. And so I, I had to correct this right away. And I said, honey, God doesn't really care if you win the chunk change, right? <laughs> so when we got the phone call the next day that we'd won the chunk change, <laughs> I got to tell you, it takes a long time to count $400 worth of quarters, nickels, and dimes. It, it is... But Grace, my daughter, taught me a lesson about specific prayer through this, about faithfulness of prayer. You know, John 14, 14 says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. We can pray specifically and effective prayers are specific prayers. And not only did Elijah pray for something specific, but he went to a specific place to do it. The scripture tells us that, that Elijah climbed up to the top of Carmel. And we see time and time again in, in scripture, Elijah going back to Mount Carmel to pray. In fact, last week when Paul talked about uh, the prophets of Baal, that was where that happened, that showdown happened. And, and Elijah went up to the top of that mountain to pray. And, and so Elijah had this place set aside that was uh, specifically to pray. And, and this is Carmel. So this doesn't look like Carmel, Indiana, right? I mean, it's not a place that you can just drive up to and park your car to go there. Um, Mount Carmel is kind of an, an impressive 
looking specimen. It is uh, five miles wide and 34 miles long, and it's 1,800 feet high. So it's not, you know, a mountain by Colorado standards, uh, but it is by Indiana standards. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, you don't just happen upon the top of Mount Carmel, right? Uh, you have to make an effort to get there. And, and if somebody wanted to find Elijah, they could have found him, but they weren't going to just happen upon him as they were out looking for him. And I think the same goes for us in, in our prayer we need to have a specific place to pray. Do you, do you have a specific place to pray besides the dinner table, maybe? Do you have a place that you go that's out of the way enough that people aren't going to happen upon you when you pray, but that's, that's close enough that you don't mind going there on a frequent basis and praying? Think about that. You need to find a specific place to pray. Make it specifically about prayer because effective prayers are specific prayers. Number three in your notes. Effective prayers are persistent prayers. You know, Elijah prayed and nothing happened. And so Elijah prayed again. And he prayed again. And he prayed again. Seven times Elijah sent a servant to go look toward the sea. He was so persistent. I mean, you've got to think that the first time the servant's like, oh, I'm looking, I, I just don't see anything. And then by the third or fourth time, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm looking. I don't know. This guy keeps sending me out to the sea. I, I mean, he's probably thinking... What is going on here? But Elijah was so convinced that God was up to something and it was so important that he wasn't going to stop praying until he saw a sign. How about you? Do you give up too easily in your prayer? If after praying for something, you don't see a sign of change, do you stop and move on to something else? Do you quickly lose faith in your prayers? I do occasionally, i got to tell you. You know, uh, Jesus told a story about this once in Luke 18. The, the, The Bible tells us this. Then, uh, Luke 18, 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. <clears throat> For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, <clears throat> yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, Jesus says, even the unjust will grant a wish if you're persistent. How much more will your father, who's crazy about you, Grant your wishes in line with his will if we continue to cry out. You know, for Elijah, it took seven times. But depending on what we're asking, it might take more. But don't be afraid. God desperately wants to hear from you. Don't give up. If what you're praying about is important to you, and you believe it's in line with God's will, and you've been praying specifically and humbly about it, don't give up. Be persistent. I believe God will be faithful. In fact, 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-six. this is a song that David wrote to God. And it's, he says, To the faithful you show yourself faithful, and to the blameless you show yourself blameless. Be faithful in your prayers. The Lord will show himself faithful. Effective prayers are persistent prayers. So effective prayers are humble prayers. Effective prayers are specific prayers. Effective prayer, prayers are persistent prayers. And finally, in your notes, effective prayers are expectant prayers. Expectant. We're looking for something to happen. 
I love the faith that Elijah has in this account. As the story is retold, we see this servant tell Elijah that there's the cloud the size of a man's hand. A cloud the servant probably wouldn't have even noticed, except that he was probably sick and tired of Elijah sending him out to look at the sea. Elijah was so insistent. And think about this. The servant sees this little tiny cloud and Elijah says, Oh, buddy, here it comes. Go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, get going before the rain stops you. Because Elijah was expecting in his prayers this little bitty cloud to him meant the rain was coming. And not just a gentle soaking rain, but the kind of rain that could stop a chariot from traveling. Heavy rain, driving rain from a tiny little cloud. Elijah prayed expecting God to do something amazing in his life. And God delivered. Verse 45 tells us that the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, and a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. When you pray, you need to pray like you're expecting something from that prayer. We need to pray like there's this entire course of history going on, but because we pray, God's going to change it. Like something's going to happen. Like because we prayed, something is going to happen. Like because we prayed, God is going to do something amazing in our lives. You can boldly go before the throne of grace. And so many times we fail to see the signs that God is working in our lives. We tend to think that the things won't change or that what we're asking for is too great and for God to do and we miss the cloud the size of a man's hand. We get frustrated that this person that we've been praying for to come to church with us still doesn't come every week. But we miss the sign that they're asking us more questions. They're asking us to pray for them. Their life is changing. God is doing something in their life, and we miss that there's a cloud the size of a man's hand that he's sending as a sign. Or you've been praying about your financial situation, and you're still not out of debt. But you don't think about the way that God's brought discipline in your life. Or maybe you and your spouse are finally on the same page for the first time in years. And even though that's a little sign, it's a sign that God is working in your life. Or the cancer refuses to go away. But you miss the sign that it's not growing. It's stabilized and you feel better. That could just be the sign from God that something amazing is about to happen in your life because you've prayed. Or you've been praying for direction in your life and you still don't have clarity about what God wants you to do. But he stripped away some of the things he doesn't want you to do. He's given you a more obvious path. And that's a sign. And you refuse to see that as a sign of progress. Or maybe you see it and you just refuse to believe it. You know, faith is so important in our prayers. Many of us who have entered a relationship with Christ have seen the changes he's made in our lives and the changes he's made in our hearts. So why don't we believe he can solve our problems? Jesus once said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. The band's going to come up and uh, they're going to do a new song, which I just think speaks greatly to this point. And um, we want to give you some time of reflection. We want to give you some time to uh, just think about um, what it is in your life where there's a cloud the size of a man's hand that might be a sign from God that you need to acknowledge that there's a change coming. What is it for you? Where do you need to be expectant about your prayers that, that maybe you pray like you believe that God's going to answer them?